Turn in your Bibles again, if you will, to Luke chapter 5. With the celebration of Good Friday and uh, Easter last week, we sort of jumped to the last chapter of the book, so now you know how it all turns out. But we still have a long ways to go in our study of this gospel, so we turn return today to Luke 5 uh, to examine the details of Jesus' life and ministry, and uh, we'll eventually get to the end again. Maybe by next Easter, you never know, or the one after that, maybe. So this morning we look at uh, Luke 5, verses 12 to 16. Let me read them. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. When Jesus ordered him, then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of all their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Let me suggest two things that we learned from this uh, text this morning. The first is real simple. Jesus cares. Jesus cares about you. In this text, uh, perhaps the first thing we need to do for a moment is to think about and define what he's talking about when it speaks of leprosy. The man had leprosy. He was covered with leprosy. These days when we refer to leprosy, I understand it's actually what we're referring to is actually called Hansen's disease. And there's a fancy name for it, and I don't know that. It's a serious condition, to be sure. It's a disfiguring condition. And in many parts of the world, you still have leper colonies where people uh, are confined because of uh, this disease that they have. When the Bible speaks of leprosy, it's not that specific. It may be referring to any of a number of skin diseases, some which were highly contagious and completely untreatable, and others which were passing rashes, which presented no threat to the patient or to anyone else. Nevertheless, since a skin condition could be a problem, uh, every case was treated with a great caution, lest it spread throughout the whole community. So the person who had something show up, some kind of skin disease, would go to the priest who would look at it and was looking for specific things uh, to see how serious it looked and might quarantine him for uh, seven days and see what happened. If it went away, that was the end of it, and he went back to living. But if, in fact, it continued, if it was determined to be serious and getting worse and uh, probably contagious, the patient's life was changed forever. That's the case of this man who came to Jesus. He had a serious skin disease, perhaps leprosy as we know it, perhaps something else, but uh, it had changed his life. He was filled with this disease. Fred Craddock makes an interesting comment. Into every culture, sooner or later, come diseases so mysterious and so threatening that they are met primarily with fear and ignorance. Having no explanation or treatment, religious, social, and political forces join in the demand that the diseased person be removed from sight, 
isolated from all domestic, religious, and commercial contact. That's what happened to this man. In our day, AIDS would be such a disease. Though we don't technically quarantine AIDS patients, the disease is largely misunderstood and carries a tremendous moral and social stigma, just like leprosy carried for this man in Luke 5. Samuel Ballantine, in his commentary on Leviticus, where the, uh, the, the stipulations of the law are recorded, describes the plight of the leper, and his description is quite good, so let me just read it rather than put it in my words. He says, persons with certified cases of leprosy must tear their clothes, dishevel their hair, cover their mouth, and cry out, unclean, unclean. This symbolic enactment of affliction confirms that they know themselves to have become repugnant to the community. They must cry out a warning, lest others inadvertently come too close to their impurity. And they must banish themselves from the community by living alone outside the camp for the duration of their affliction. Isolated from, uh, from the community where the observance of holy statutes and ordinances define the fullness of life God enjoins, they now reside in a place where deprivation, shame, and abandonment mark them as the living dead. That's this man in Luke 5. Obviously, the man violated those restrictions to even come close to the town or into the town uh, to see Jesus. But he believed Jesus could help him. According to verse 12, when the man saw Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet with his face in the dirt and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then again, nobody ever cared about lepers. They were hopelessly defiled. They were repulsive in every way. Even if Jesus could help, why would he? That's the same question that plagues us sometimes, isn't it? Knowing how foul our sin has been, why would Jesus care? Knowing how many times we failed him, why would he still even listen to us? Knowing how we've pushed him away, why would he now want to get involved? But Jesus cares. He cared about this leper. In fact, Jesus did the unthinkable. He touched him. Saying, I am willing, be healed. Tom Wright explains the significance of this for the leper. He says, we know today from studies in psychology what powerful and long-lasting effects result from appropriate human contact. To be cut off from all such contact is therefore almost as serious as losing one's sight or hearing. So much sheer love is conveyed by touch. Nobody had touched this man, we may suppose. For years. So here Jesus did what medical people have heroically done over the ages. He intentionally made physical contact, exposed himself to this man's disease in order to help him. As Fred Craddock notes, 
By touching the man, Jesus entered into his isolation and shame. No long distance relief here. Jesus gives himself to those to whom he ministers. Just as one cannot forgive without appearing to condone the very sin forgiven, neither can one help a leper without entering the leper colony. Jesus cares. But you know, Jesus touching the leper was only a token of his later identification with sinners, which was so much more profound. For Jesus not only brought the comfort of human touch to the untouchable, he not only exposed himself to our diseases, He took our filthy sins on himself and paid the penalty for them in order that we might be made clean. That's the Jesus predicted in Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him by his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of his people. He was stricken. This is the Jesus the Apostle Paul tells us about. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we in him might become the righteousness of God. That's the Jesus Peter tells about. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous in place of the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's the the Jesus the Apostle John tells us about. If anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father on our defense, Jesus, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This morning I announced good news to you. Jesus cares about you. Though you are unclean and defiled, he cares, as he did for the leper. About 1900, a Methodist minister named uh, Frank Grafe was going through a time of great uh, testing and severe despondency. In the midst of it all, he wondered, as many of us have wondered, whether the Lord really cared about him. Uh, Whether the Lord really took notice of his struggle with temptation. Whether the Lord felt the pain of his grief. And in the midst of those dark days, Pastor Grave came upon that, uh, that verse that kind of summarizes this whole text in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And overwhelmed with comfort and gratitude, Pastor Grave wrote this hymn, you'd know it probably. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long, does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief I find no relief, though my tears flow all the night long? Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior 
cares. Do people Jesus hasn't changed? He cares about you. Not because you deserve it, not because you're clean and pretty. He cares about you as he cared for this leper. Cares enough to involve himself in your trouble to take your filth upon himself and make you clean. Well, that's a major thrust of this text, but there's a second thing I think we ought to talk about, a second point, and that's this. The law points us to this Jesus. The law points us to Jesus. One of the most difficult issues we face in understanding the Scriptures is to define exactly what the place of the Old Testament law is now that Christ has come. We're not going to solve that problem this morning. We're not even going to try, but there is an important piece of information here, an important part of the puzzle that uh, we can't just um, uh, skip over. Here we see that the purpose of the law is to point us to Jesus. That's one thing we know about that issue. Actually, there are three things that uh, describe uh, Jesus' relationship to the law. So let's talk about Jesus' relationship to the law. The first of those is that Jesus did not violate God's law. Throughout his whole earthly life, Jesus kept the law. He was born under the law, and he lived under the law without infraction. Well, sometimes he trampled right over the long-standing religious traditions of his day, but he did not violate the law written in God's word. And that's also the case in this passage. As we noted earlier, the law back in Leviticus 13 and 14 outlined a specific procedure to be followed in cases of skin disease or leprosy as it's called here. A priest would do the initial examination and if necessary would do follow-up exams outlining outlining the level of quarantine that uh, was uh, required. And if the condition cleared up, the priest was the one who had the authority to confirm it and declare the person clean and, uh, and welcome him back into society. So Jesus did not violate that procedure of the law. After healing the leper, what did he do? He said, you go see the priest, because that's what the law required. It was the priest's job to determine that the man was now clean. Jesus did not violate God's law. That's the first thing we know about Jesus and the law. Second thing we know is that Jesus did just, didn't just not violate the law. He, he did what the law could not do. Jesus did what the law could not do. Many teachers complied with the law and taught others to, to live in compliance. And Jesus did that too in the Sermon on the Mount. He told people to, uh, to, to not ignore the law, to, li- to live according to it. But Jesus did more than just teach, than just comply and teach compliance. Jesus did the work of God that the law was unable to do. In the case of this leper... The priest, following the words of the law, could only examine and pronounce the man either clean or unclean. That's what he could do. But Jesus actually removed the defilement and made him clean, which the law couldn't do. And here we see illustrated the greatness of Jesus' work in regard to our sin. Like the priest... The law can only examine our life 
and condemn us as sinners or vindicate us as doing righteous. That's all it can do. It's an observer. It's a judge that passes sentence on us. But Jesus, by his grace, cleanses and restores sinners, something the law cannot do. That's what Romans 8.3 says. For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his son. So Jesus did not violate the law, but beyond that, Jesus did what the law could not do. And then thirdly, Jesus elicited the law's testimony about himself. He repeatedly throughout his life made the point that he was the fulfillment of the law, that the law pointed to him. So back in John chapter 5, in the thick of uh, opposition by the Jewish leaders, Jesus has this to say. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify of me. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Jesus elicited the law's testimony concerning himself. After his resurrection, Jesus, uh, this was Jesus' testimony to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This was also his explanation to the twelve apostles. This is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me and the law and the prophets and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And, and, and so here in verse 14, Jesus is doing the same thing. He's eliciting the testimony of the law concerning him being authentic as the Messiah that God had sent. So he tells the cleansed leper, Go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. That's what the law required. Why, though? As a testimony to them, Jesus says. Jesus came not just to live under the law, to do the works that the law could not do, and to show how the law bore testimony to him. The law points us to Jesus. Dear people, the law can no more cleanse you from sin and defilement of your soul than it could remove the leprosy and make this diseased man well. If you think that by keeping the law well enough, you're someday going to be acceptable to God, you're sadly mistaken. It can't do that for you. But Jesus does. He does what the law can only observe. Jesus removes our worst defilement, worse than leprosy, the defilement of our sin. He makes us utterly clean before God. So the law's purpose is simply to bear testimony to that and to point us to Jesus, the only true Messiah, the only sufficient Savior. What grand truths we have in this little text, this little incident in the ministry of Jesus. 
We see the law pointing us to Jesus. But more importantly, in Jesus, we see that we have a Savior who cares about us. One who's willing to touch the untouchable. One who loves the unlovely. One who's willing and able to cleanse and restore those who are hopelessly defiled. So what a great day for us to be coming to the Lord's table. For here the one who dares to touch us in our filthy, contagious condition. Here comes near to us again and presents himself to us that we might touch him. Handle him. Taste him. Be nurtured by him. And the symbols he's given us of his body and his blood. That's the wonderful assurance he explained to us in the catechism. As surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. And as surely as I receive with my hands from the hand of the one who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord given as sure signs of Christ's body and blood. So surely he nourishes me and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. Here we touch him. The one who's touched us in our defilement and made us clean. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus' mercy and grace. To the most hideous, the most repugnant, the most defiled of people. Thank you, Lord, that you're still gracious to people like us. So maybe not miss the point. <clears throat> In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.